you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to turn to me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 26. We are beginning this season of Thanksgiving at a table of Thanksgiving as we are remembering today the Lord. Um, I am struck by the fact that Matthew, who was at the Last Supper, remembered how Jesus gave thanks for the bread and the cup. As he was about to prepare to give his own life, Jesus is giving thanks for that privilege. And this is the way Matthew recorded it in Matthew 26, verse 17. On the first day of the festival of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. And while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, surely you don't mean not me, Lord. And Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The son of man will go just as it's written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Father, it's an honor for us to be at this table today. The very same table at which your son sat as he was about to give his life for the sins of the world. And now in remembrance of that table, we come today because it's in remembrance of Jesus. It's a table of thanksgiving because we have much to be grateful for. And no matter what our circumstances today, I pray that our time together around this table will help us to remember his thanksgiving and how we too can live a grateful life. And we're thankful, God, for all that you'll show us in Jesus' name. Amen. In her book, The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom was telling about how her family during World War II was housing Jews in Nazi Germany. They were caught, arrested, and carted off to a concentration camp named Ravensbrück. She, Corey, and her sister Betsy were in a filthy barracks, not only cold and dank, but filled with fleas. One day, when they were reading their tattered Bible together, they read from 1 Thessalonians the reminder to be thankful in all things. So Betsy said, Corey, we've got to give thanks for this barracks and even for these fleas. And Corey said, no way am I going to thank God for fleas. But Betsy was persuasive. And they got down on their knees and they thanked God for those fleas. During the months that followed, they found that their barracks 
were left relatively alone. The guards didn't bother them as they did other barracks. They could study the Bible. They could talk openly. They could even pray in the barracks and with others who came to join them. It was their place of refuge in the midst of so much turmoil. And several months later, they found out the reason that the guards never bothered them was because they didn't want to deal with all those fleas. The verse they were reading was 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Giving thanks is in and of itself an act of faith that pleases God. It acknowledges that everything comes from God and is under his sovereign control. Everything good or bad is used by God to perfect us, to fulfill his eternal purpose, and to bring glory to his name. In everything give thanks, he said. And no one ever modeled that better than Jesus himself. That's what we're remembering today in communion. Communion is our remembrance of the death of Jesus. A death he died in our place for our sins. When he instituted this meal, he wanted us to remember him. Do this, he said, as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. This is a memorial meal. Eating this will not make you a Christian. It won't get your sins forgiven. It won't get you into heaven. The only way to be forgiven for what sin has done to separate us from God is by entering into our relationship with God through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Eating this meal will not do that for you. But eating this meal, as Jesus asked, can help us to remember today what he has done for us and how much we have to be grateful for. I remember the words of Vance Havner, the great evangelist, pastor, author, and teacher, who said the whole Christian life is one big thank you. The living expression of our gratitude to God for his goodness. But we take him for granted. And what we take for granted, we never take seriously. You see, the greatest gifts are the easiest to take for granted because they cost us nothing. And so Jesus instituted this table of remembrance and made it a table of thanksgiving. Matthew remembered that night from Matthew 26 when he wrote in verse 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many, for the forgiveness of sins. Matthew never forgot the fact of watching Jesus take that bread, which was his body, and gave thanks to God for the sacrifice he was about to make. That he took that cup, which was his blood, about to be spilled at a cross, and he looks to heaven and thanks God that he can make that sacrifice. And in that giving of thanks, he uses the word eucharista or eucharisteo, from which we get the English word eucharist, which is often used to describe the communion table. Eucharist means the table of thanksgiving. And Jesus gave thanks at this table. And today, you and I are invited to do the same. Communion reminds us that Jesus gave thanks even for his death knowing what that death would accomplish. And what, what was he so grateful for that night through his death? 
He knew that his death would bring glory to God, and he knew that his death was going to bring us to God. Jesus gave thanks for his death because it would bring glory to God. At the end of the Last Supper, John recorded for us, who was there, the longest, most intimate prayer we have of Jesus. It's interesting to read that whole prayer in John 17 because you and I are included in that prayer that night. But listen to how Jesus started that prayer when it says he looked toward heaven and he prayed. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Bringing glory to God was Jesus' greatest joy. Harry Clark was almost bigger than life in our small New England town. He owned the local Shell service station, was a well-to-do business owner, had a well-earned reputation for hard work, generosity, integrity, and truth. Getting hired to work for him when you were in high school was an honor, believe me. I remember the night Harry called me and he said, Larry, I, I got a job I need you to do. It's important. I said, sure, what is it? He said, a, a friend of mine, his car is broken down in West Hartford, 20 miles away. Now in New England, 20 miles is like where you go for vacation. <laughs> and he said, I need you to take a wrecker and go pick up his Cadillac and bring it in. It was night. It was raining. I had to drive into the city. It was his friend. It was a Cadillac. <laughs> and I had to tow it back alone. And I swallowed hard and I said, sure. <laughs> I had only driven a couple of local tow jobs. And I remember the entire time I'm driving into West Hartford, I'm thinking, I can't do this. I have to do this. What if I fail? I can't fail. Harry's reputation is on the line. So I went, found the car, hooked it up, brought it home. And I'm telling you, when I drove into the lot that night, the look on Harry's face was all the reward I needed. You see, he had believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And he had given me a job to do for him. And there is no word to describe the joy I felt at pleasing him and finishing the job he'd given me to do. People, I think that's some of the joy that Jesus knew that night. As he neared the goal of finishing the work his father had given him to do. John 17 is the longest and most intimate conversation recorded between Jesus and his father. And in that prayer, he reveals one of the greatest reasons for his gratitude that night at the Last Supper in verse 1. 
After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. The work of of giving his life to save people from their sins the next day would be the work that Jesus would finish for his Father. In fact, on the cross, he would declare it finished. The primary reason Jesus went to the cross was not for us. It was for his Father. It was God's will that his Son die in our place for our sins. God's love, his grace, his mercy would be displayed in that sacrifice. But God would be glorified and honored by that sacrifice. And Jesus was thankful to be given the honor of glorifying him by finishing the work the Father had asked him to do. People, you and I are called for the same purpose, to give our lives fully to God's will and to bring glory to his name by finishing the work he's given us to do. Because in fact, it is still Jesus doing the Father's work through the life of every single one of us who has believed in him. That's why when Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, in Ephesians 1 verse 7, he said, In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The primary reason Jesus went to the cross was for the glory of God. The primary reason you and I are saved is for the glory of God. The primary reason you and I are facing whatever we face today is that through those things, somehow God might receive the glory. Our lives rescued from sin through the sacrifice of Jesus that were before given over to sin and glorifying self can now join Jesus in living to glorify God. By his sacrifice, we're brought into relationship with God so that like Jesus, we can know God and we can make him known. Jesus continues glorifying God in us and through us. And communion reminds us of the sacrifice that made that all possible. Jesus gave thanks for the sacrifice that would bring glory to God. You and I are now invited to join him in doing the very same. And not only in bringing glory to God, but Jesus gives thanks for his death because he knew it would bring us to God. Peter was at the Last Supper. 
He saw Jesus giving thanks for that sacrifice. He heard and saw what Jesus prayed. That's why later, in one of my favorite verses that Peter ever wrote, in 1 Peter 3, verse 18, it's full of hope for a man like me and you. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Retired U.S. Marine Corps General Charles Krulak was speaking at a prayer breakfast. And he was telling how when he was an unbeliever in the Marines, he was first confronted with the testimony of a person who was completely committed to Christ. And in that prayer breakfast, he said, 35 years ago, I was a young second lieutenant just graduated from the Naval Academy. Married 14 days after I graduated. My wife and I went down to Quantico, Virginia, home of the basic school where officers learned about honor and courage and commitment. At that time my life, in my life, I thought I was a cross between John Wayne and Tom Cruise. Because I was married, I shared a room with another married officer named John Listerman. John was a wonderful human. He exuded goodness. If I asked him for his arm, he would have said, where do you want me to cut it off, at the wrist, at the elbow? John was a Christian, and that meant nothing to me at the time other than, wow, what a nice guy. I guess the Christian stuff must be pretty good. Upon graduating from basic school, John and I went to Camp Pendleton, California, where we joined the same battalion preparing to go to Vietnam. And I saw another side of John Listerman. He was a tremendous leader, aggressive, technically proficient. People loved him. He was committed to his troops. His troops were committed to him. He was a Marine's Marine. On a December morning in 1965, John and I went to war. John Listerman's war lasted one day. We were on patrol moving down a trail through the jungle. We came around a corner in that trail and we ran into an ambush. John took the first round, a 50 caliber round in his kneecap. If you've ever seen a 50 caliber round, you don't ever want to be hit by one of these. As his kneecap burst, the crack was so loud it sounded like a mortar exploding. It threw him into the air. And as he was dropping, the second round hit him right below the heart and exited out his side. I was wounded also, but nowhere near as badly. I saw John blown about 30 yards away on his, black, on his back, his leg blown off. I crawled up to him, and I wanted to say, are you okay? Can I do anything? But before I could do that, his head turned to me, and he said, how are you doing, Chucker? Are you okay? I said, yes, John, I'm okay. Are my men safe, he said. John, your guys are okay. At that point, he turned his head, and he looked up to the sky, and he just repeated over and over, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for caring for my guys. Thank you for caring for me. 
Charles Krulak said, I was dumbfounded. Here's a guy laying in his own blood. I've never seen anything like this before. A man grateful to God for taking wounds that would save others and eventually bring them to God. Charles Krulak went on to say at that prayer breakfast, John and I were both evacuated. And because of his example, I learned about the one who took wounds for me so that I could be saved. And he said, I'm here today to tell you through John's example, I have found Jesus as my Savior. People, Jesus gave thanks for his death on the cross because he knew what it would mean for God and us. Peter said, Christ died for sins once for all to bring you to God. God loves us, but he can't have relationship with us because of the sin that's in all of our lives. And all of us have sinned and fall short of his glory. All of us. Paul told the Romans in Romans 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. People, this is the message Satan doesn't want anybody to know. God loves us, but he can't have relationship with us as long as sin is in our lives, and all of us are sinners. It is sin that separates us from God. And if we die with that sin still in our lives, it'll separate us from God forever in a Christless hell. But as John, who was also at the supper that night, said in John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, God loves us, and the only way to have us and for us to have him was that sin had to be paid for. The penalty of sin, the wage of sin is death. So Jesus, who had no sin, took my sin and your sin and the sin of the world, and he went to a cross, and he died there with that sin. He paid for it. So now we who believe and receive him are forgiven and brought into relationship with God. That's the new covenant. That's the new way paid for by his blood. That's why when Jesus took the cup, he lifted it up and gave thanks. And he said, you remember? Verse 27. Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And look at this. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until when? That day, when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus gave thanks at this table for being the sacrifice that would bring us to God. And we can now give thanks at this table that by this sacrifice we have come to God and will live with him forever. Death can't separate us from God anymore. And neither can sin, because it's been forgiven if you have Christ in your life. Now death is the means God will use to bring you to himself, just as he promised he would. That's why we live a life of gratitude. I was reading a, a piece by Pastor Jack Hinton in Leadership Magazine. He was on a short-term mission trip leading a worship service at a leper colony on the island of Tobago. 
A woman who had been faced away from the stage the entire time turned around. He said it was the most hideous face I had ever seen. The woman's nose and ears were completely gone. Her face distorted and torn by this disease. She lifted a hand into the air and all of her fingers were gone. But she raised her hand and asked, can we sing the hymn, Count Your Many Blessings? Pastor Jack, overcome with emotion, said he had to leave the service. One of his team members followed him out and asked if he was all right. He said, yeah, I'll be okay. And his team member said to him, I guess you won't be able to ever sing that song again. He said, oh, I'll be able to sing it. But I won't ever be able to sing it the same way. You ever read the words, that leprous lady with no face and no fingers wanted to sing that day? It was written in 1897 by Johnston Oatman, Jr., When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, count your many blessings. Name them one by one. It will surprise you what the Lord has done. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you're called to bear? Count your many blessings. Every doubt will fly. And you'll be singing as the day goes by. When you look at others with their lands and gold, you think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold? Count your many blessings that money cannot buy, like your reward in heaven and your home on high. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, don't be discouraged. God is over all. Count your many blessings. Angels will attend. Help and comfort give you until your journey's end. And the refrain that this leprous lady loved to sing, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings and see what God has. People, that's what we're here to do today. Jesus did. I don't know what your circumstances are. But in everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Matthew went on to say, when we got done with supper that night, we sang a hymn, verse 30. We went out to the Mount of Olives. I know the words to that hymn. You can be thankful I don't know the tune. It was called the Hallel. It was sung at the conclusion of each Passover. The words are in Psalm 113, 114, 115, 116, 117, and they conclude in Psalm 118. That's the Hallel. That's the hymn they sang. It starts out with praise to God in Psalm 113. 
It moves towards the middle of those psalms. Not to us, but to you be the glory. And then it closes out in Psalm 118. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You know how that song begins and ends? Psalm 118 begins and ends the same way. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. That's what Jesus was singing on his way to the cross. And as we enter this season of national thanksgiving, I can't think of a better way to begin at this table of thanksgiving where Jesus looked up to heaven, gave thanks, and said, this bread is my body, and this cup is my blood. It's given for you. Therefore, every time you eat this, remember me and give thanks. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God, there is inestimable, inestimable meaning in this table, this table of thanksgiving. I don't know what all these dear people are facing today, what's going on in their lives. But we have the example of a leprous lady. We have an example of a wounded marine. We have the example of ladies in a flea-infested barracks. And we have the example of you, the Son of God himself. That regardless of circumstance, we're called to give thanks. And so today, Lord, receive our thanks for all that you are and all that you've done. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name.